0: Less than a week after Donald Trump ordered the assassination of Major General Qasem Soleimani, Iran's second most important official, Iraq's parliament voted to expel American troops from Iraq. The United States Pentagon announced that America's military will suspend efforts to defeat ISIS in order to focus on doing battle with Iran. Iran said it would abandon an international treaty restricting development of nuclear weapons, and Donald Trump threatened to commit war crimes by targeting 52 Iranian cultural sites. For more on this, we're joined by Professor Klaus W. Laris. He is the Richard M. Krasno Distinguished Professor of History and International Affairs at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. His latest book is Understanding Global Politics, Actors and Themes in International Affairs. And his latest piece for the conversation is entitled, With the US and Iran on the Brink of War, The Dangers of Trump's Policy of Going It Alone Become Clear. Thank you for joining us, Professor.
1: Oh, you're more than welcome.
0: I, I really enjoyed your piece over at the conversation, and I'll link to it over at our website. Full disclosure, this is Bernie Sanders country. Donald Trump should be removed from office, locked up along with Dick Cheney. We always assume the worst about Trump and that his assassination of General Soleimani was politically motivated. I would assume somehow he or Jared Kushner turned a quick buck off this assassination. All that being said, We're hearing talk of World War III, that this is end times. How upset should we be? I mean, we live in a time when everything is the worst, everything is the most urgent. Could this end up being a momentary blip of hysteria that will be eclipsed next week by something else?
1: Absolutely. I mean, whenever you have a major crisis in the Middle East that is, dangerous, and that can lead to all sorts of very unpleasant uh, developments. It could lead to a major war, but it could lead to individual attacks which still kill a lot of people, but short of a major war. Uh, I would assume, and uh, when we look at the Iranian reaction so far, that Iran tries to be uh, not too aggressive. They know they uh, it's no point to get uh, into a major war with the United States. Uh, the u.s after all is still the world's most militarily mighty power on earth so it would be a very risky enterprise for any state on earth including uh, iran to have a military conflict with the united states and the iranians so far have reacted relatively subdued considering that they also have to placate their own domestic public opinion The daughter, of course, of uh, uh, Soleimani has spoken out vigorously, but you would expect that, of course. But uh, Iran has also announced it will withdraw from the nuclear deal of 2015, but they haven't actually done anything to do so. You know, no legal uh, legal law has been submitted to Parliament. No action has been taken, as far as we know, at least, uh, which uh, shows that they are about to uh, restart their nuclear uh, er uh, reactors or to get to a nuclear bomb. So they have talked, but they haven't actually done an awful lot so far. And they said they're they're going to still
0: work with the Atomic Energy Commission
1: so far yes yeah. we don't know whether they will stop that or not but uh, as i said so far no real action has been taken apart from rhetoric and that is of course a good sign so i would say that iran will try not to go over the top on the other hand they have to react for their own uh public opinion uh iran is of course a dictatorship it is a fundamentalist uh regime but it still has to observe its public opinion as well to a lesser extent than a Western democracy, but they cannot totally ignore the men and women in the street of Tehran, for example. There are millions today which went to the funeral of uh, Sultani and these people want to see some sort of action. They certainly want to hear the right rhetoric, but I guess they would also like to see some practical action. But the Iranians will have to react. But um, hopefully, they will not overdo it and will react in a way which doesn't and not lead to counteraction from the United States or other countries.
0: Trump pulled out of the nuclear deal with Iran in, uh, I think, May or March of 2018. But France, mm-hmm. Germany, the other allies stayed in it. Did Iran uh,
1: obey the agreement? with America largely largely not entirely increasingly over time particularly during 2019 the Iranians have also violated some of the conditions of uh, the 2015 deal but they have stayed at least largely still within the bounds of the conditions laid down in 2015 And that is the reason why the uh, European powers, France, the UK and Germany, but also Russia and China are still hoping that they could keep the Iranians within that deal. And they were sort of hopeful that perhaps to some extent the United States could be lured back into the deal. That was perhaps wishful thinking, and I think it largely was. But so far, the nuclear deal has not totally collapsed. But of course, after the events uh, uh, and the assassination of Soleimani, it looks uh, even more dire regarding the future of the nuclear deal. In my personal view, I think the nuclear deal was not perfect. It was definitely flawed. It only focused on... Uh, preventing iran from developing nuclear weapons it did not prevent iran from being politically and militarily very active in the region often in a very uh, harmful way to western interests at least Uh, and that was of course what the trump administration criticized but the nuclear deal was as the the name says it was a nuclear deal it was not a political regional deal about entirely different uh, uh, things and it was better than nothing. And it kept the Iranians from uh, developing a nuclear bomb at least for the next 10 to 15 years and perhaps longer. And I think that was certainly a lot better than nothing. And if the deal is, uh, totally disappears so that we have no real engagement with Iran, neither in the nuclear way nor in the political military way, that does not uh, uh, harbor good for the future.
0: How long harbor would it take if they pull out How long does it take Iran to become a nuclear power?
1: Uh, Certainly several years. Uh, It is not easy to become a nuclear power, and I have no knowledge how what has happened in the meantime, how prepared the Iranians are, what has been restarted, maybe in the course of 2019, what has not been restarted. I have no idea how close they were in 2015 to the nuclear bomb in uh, 2015. Some experts spoke of a couple of months, some people spoke of two years. So it's difficult to know, uh, but it certainly would not happen overnight. It certainly would not happen within a matter of months, I would say, it is at least a couple of years.
0: And has Trump succeeded in putting economic pressures on Iran and challenging Rouhani and the Ayatollah Com-
1: Absolutely absolutely what is unemployment
0: like there how much dissent
1: has skyrocketed Uh, i cannot give you a precise figure Mm -hmm. right now but unemployment has skyrocketed that is the reason why only a few weeks ago you had widespread protests in iran which were clamped down by the iranian government hundreds of iranians were killed uh, in in the process of clamping down on these riots on these protests and there is a lot of dissatisfaction particularly among the young people in iran and uh, the regime has actually gained by the assassination of its uh, leading general because now the nation as often happens in uh, warfare and in a major crisis is actually rallying behind the uh, fundamentalist regime and that was not the case only a mere uh, few weeks ago Um, so there is a lot of tension and dissent uh, within uh, Iran And uh, the sanctions Trump has imposed have been very effective, particularly it has prevented Iran to sell oil. And oil is a major resource, almost the only resource Iran has to to earn foreign currencies to trade with the outside world. And that has been a severe blow to Iran and the, and uh, iran has repeatedly called on the european powers to make up for the sanctions trump has in, uh, uh, imposed to basically uh, honor their deal uh, their side of the deal of the nuclear deal of 2015 by somehow balancing the sanctions trump has uh, imposed but the europeans have been unable to do so they've you know managed to do that to some extent but not to the full extent The United States, after all, is the world's most powerful economic country. They have a lot of leeway economically. And when Trump sanctions that he will impose uh, sanctions on another country, like he has now threatened to impose sanctions on Iraq, if American and foreign troops are thrown out of Iraq, that uh, is not without uh, some some reality behind it. The United States can impose very painful sanctions on foreign countries.
0: Trump, you write, acted unilaterally without the support of our allies or our strategic rivals, China and Russia. First, talk to me about France, Germany, and Great Britain. I was kind of surprised by their reaction to the assassination. They didn't seem, maybe I'm misreading what they're officially saying, but they didn't, Macron didn't seem too upset by all this. No,
1: I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree with that. Of course, you have to be diplomatically careful. You do not want to antagonize the Trump administration even further than the Europeans have already done. So the transatlantic relations are tense between the United States and the Europeans, probably as tense as they were during the Iraq war early in the century, perhaps even more tense. And to come out with a statement of condemning the United States, that would really uh, cut all your influence you you may have on the Trump administration. None of these three European countries you mentioned has supported the attacks. They have not uh, condemned them in an outright way for the reasons just mentioned but they uh, internally are very, very skeptical, very critical of what has been done, saying it is unnecessary. And all these three countries are strongly uh, uh, still behind the nuclear deal of 2015 and want to save it and see that as the only way forward, how to re-engage Iran and integrate Iran again into the international community and not turning it into a pariah even more and an outsider who then may overreact itself. Um, And I think the three European powers are working on the Trump administration, particularly at the working level below the top uh, tier and uh, try to achieve some sort of progress so that the United States is not overreacting in its a further reaction to what Iran may up, be up to, but they're also using their good offices to Tehran to make sure that the, ter- uh, that the Iranians uh, not go off the top and resort to measures which would inflame the situation further. Of course, that they're in the middle in a way, and they're in a very difficult position and have relatively little influence or lost increasing influence with both Tehran and Washington. So I'm not saying that the European powers will actually be that decisive, but they are trying. And I guess uh, uh, in the current circumstances, trying is better than not doing anything.
0: You wrote that the, the the European powers, France, Germany, Great Britain, crave American leadership. And I was surprised by that because I have always been led to believe nature abhors a vacuum. So if America is going to be isolationist. Germany, Great Britain, France is is gonna see this as an opportunity to step into the void. But you say they don't want to.
1: No, that is a misreading of the situation what they want is american leadership in a benign and constructive way basically the ideal would have been the obama administration obama was seen as almost a european politician a liberal open-minded imaginative politician with a you know good educational background very strong rhetoric you could talk to him and convince him and persuade him and you know have constructive relations it was almost an intellectual Kind of basis of a relationship. So you can talk to him, you can convince uh, officials in the administration. And the, such a president. They uh, trust to be a sensible and reasonable foreign policy leader. That didn't mean that uh, they agreed with everything under the Obama administration. There were, for example, also uh, with Obama, very serious difficulties about, for example, how to react to the Great Recession of 2008 to 2012. Here, Europeans and Americans were very much uh, on very different sides of how to react to that, but they still were able to cooperate. And with the Trump administration, the problem is that they do not uh, see any basis for cooperation, that they often even lack access, that that there's no one they can actually talk to uh, and who keeps an open mind and actually takes their arguments on board and thinks about it. And that is what they very much regret. So they believe American leadership in a sensible, constructive, benign way they really would like to have. The current uh, situation in Washington doesn't inspire that America is up to any global leadership. But the Europeans, um, I think, have not the ambition to rule the world themselves, so to speak, uh, or to become world powers. The British and the uh, French have a little bit more of an ambition than the Germans in that respect, but also the British and the French are quite realistic, and they know, of course, their limitations on their uh, power, and they are not world powers. They might be great powers, if you like, but I wouldn't call them as global powers. They're simply economically and also militarily much too weak for that.
0: You write that our strategic rivals vis-a-vis Iran are China and Russia. How allied are China and Russia with Iran? What's in it for China and Russia? Why would they come to the defense of Iran if America really does go to war
1: with Iran? Well, China and Russia are also signatory powers of the nuclear deal of 2015. They also do not want Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon. They believe that would be a destabilizing development uh, because not least Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran's arch-rival in the Middle East, would not sit by, but they would also start developing a nuclear weapon if Iran was about to obtain one. So that would uh, be a very destabilizing and also very dangerous uh, situation. Um, Iran, uh, sorry, uh, Russia and uh, China have recently engaged more with Iran. They have embarked on joint naval maneuvers. That was a first. But one shouldn't overread that. They want to engage with uh, Iran in order to also keep some sort of influence on Iran, but I wouldn't call them friends of Iran. They are very suspicious of Iranian ambitions in the Middle East, and they do not wish to see Iran as the predominant power in the Middle East either. Russia is probably closer to Iran, not least because of the war in Syria, uh, than uh, China is. Uh, China, you know, wants to have a balancing uh, situation in the Middle East where no power uh, is predominant, but it also wants to keep its hand in the game and therefore also has some sort of influence over Iran. But I think here, Russia and China and the three European uh, countries we mentioned are all uh, on the same side, they all want to have the nuclear deal uh, uh, to be continued. They want to go back to the nuclear deal and make sure that Iran is contained definitely in its nuclear policy, but to some extent also in its uh, behavior politically and militarily in in the Middle East. Let's
0: circle back to uh, Soleimani for a second, because he was the leader of Quds Mm -hmm. and they were spreading the state department says terrorism throughout the middle east they supported assad in syria they support hezbollah in in syria and lebanon and certainly the the houthis in yemen against saudi arabia when you look at the middle east there seems to be this split between saudi arabia which is sunni and iran which is primarily shia and when I look at the royal family in Saudi Arabia, they're not a theocracy. They just made this unholy deal with the Wahhabis to mm-hmm. keep the people in line. That's At least that's what I've been led to believe. And Saudi Arabia's imperial uh, aggression stems, I would assume, from economic interests. Iran, on the other hand, is it genuinely a theocracy? Are they spreading uh, protection for the Shia community throughout the Middle East? Is that what their imperialism is about? Because when we think of imperialism, we always think it's money, trade. Is, is Iran genuinely a theocracy that's hell-bent on protecting the Shia community throughout the Middle East? Is that their no, prime
1: sure motivation? Well, I'm not sure that they're always protecting off the shared communities in the Middle East, but when you look at the government of Iran itself, it is a dictatorship, but it also is a uh, therocratical uh, dictatorship. The clergy, the clergy is certainly clearly in power. Um, it's uh, not a, a, a normal dictatorship, let's say a secular dictatorship, the, the supreme leader is both a political and a religious leader. And uh, no, no, I think it is clearly a theocracy in, uh, inside Iran. But the, uh, so they're uh, genuinely you know, I, spreading,
0: they, they're gen, as opposed to America. I mean, when we think about the war in Iraq, we pretend it's to liberate these people and spread democracy. But the truth is, and we all know it, it's about oil. But with Iran, you know, with Hezbollah and Lebanon, I, I, I would assume Suleimani was trying to protect the Shia community in Lebanon and Assad is an Alawite, which is kind of well, a Shia sect.
1: It's- It's also about power. It is not just about uh, a religious identity and the spread of a religious belief. It is also about geopolitical power. It is also about economic power uh, and influence and the uh, and iran has increasingly been influential in iraq not just for religious reasons but for power political uh, reasons it wants clearly to expand its political militarily uh, military economic influence in into iraq and it has succeeded to a large extent in doing so you know the reason why sulamani was in uh, baghdad at baghdad airport Clearly the was because Iraq is seen as an ally, as a friendly power for Iran. So Lamani actually was there on a mission to negotiate uh, or to mediate between Iran and Saudi Arabia. He often carried messages from either side uh, to, to keep contact between these two arch foes. And he also actually was sometimes a mediator uh, with the United States. Um, so that was a reason why he was there, and because Iraq is has been uh, or has become a very friendly country to Iran. And Iran wants to spread its influence into Iraq, but also into other countries, but not just for religious reasons. I would say the power political reasons are much more important.
0: And uh, Iraq and Iran fought a war, I, I
1: lasted more than a day. Yeah, a long time ago. The, yes, a long time ago.
0: Yeah, and... Iraq was ruled by Hussein, Saddam Hussein, who was Sunni. The Sunnis are a minority in Iraq. It's primarily a Shia nation, Iraq. Yes, indeed. So fighting a war against Iran, which is primarily Shia, what, what did the Shia community in Iraq do? Were they willing to go fight? Iran under Hussein?
1: Yeah, that was, of course, at the time, that was in the 1980s when Saddam Hussein was uh, still in power, when Iran and Iraq were not friendly at all, when they were really, when the uh, both the regimes and uh, the, the, the majority of the populations were at locker hats, and they both actually turned to the United States to obtain uh, American support, American weapons, which were, to, to some extent, given, um, but that, from a Western, from an American point of view, had the advantage that uh, both Iran and Iraq were kept in check; that none of them could dominate the Middle East, and that really was what was the, the game which was played in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. But did we that, see? That did we the see of power in the Middle East?
0: Did we see Shia Iraqis taking arms against Shia Iranians? Iranians?
1: Absolutely, they had to. They were conscripted into Saddam Hussein's army. They had mm. to. Okay. I mean, you see that in you know in many countries also. When you look back into European history, then often Catholics fought Catholics and Protestants fought Protestants. Wars are not always fought along relig- religious lines, though so sometimes they are, but not always.
0: So, are we at a benefit? Do we benefit from the fact that Trump is? a lunatic and he acted unilaterally don't most world wars or the last two start because of treaties and promises and agreements isn't the world better off that no other ally would be stupid enough to support donald trump's march to war because it certainly seems world war one started because russia had an agreement with great britain and france and if one country is attacked then we attack the other country poland gets attacked Great Britain has to step in. yeah,
1: that's quite correct. The treaty and alliance network of the First World War definitely, or before the First World War, definitely contributed to the outbreak of the First World War. But that is also a long time ago now. I think times have changed, and these days, people or countries will not be just led into war because of a treaty of alliance that would be the exception to the rule rather than the other way around. Of course from our point of view right now it is positive that for example the three European countries are not supporting uh, uh, the Trump administration's uh, policy towards Iran. That would be a disaster if the entire West was lined up against let's say Iran. That would not Uh, uh, go down very well for world stability and world peace. Um, Regarding Trump, I would say Trump is very emotional, and he only decided on the attack on Soleimani when he saw the uh, heated protestations against American power in Tehran uh, a week or so ago. Initially, he had actually ruled out uh, uh, the assassination of Suleimani, and also under george uh, W. Bush and under Obama, there were plans drawn up to hit Suleimani. They were all shelved for good reason because they believed the repercussions would be not worth hitting him. And Trump, in the end, at the beginning, agreed with that, and his and the Pentagon agreed with that. his most of his military advisors advised against going after Soleimani personally. But for emotional reasons, as far as I know, Trump changed his mind and had him targeted. And I think we are feeling the repercussions now. You know,
0: I've been wrong on everything, but it's, it seems to me this isn't going to be World War III because it's impossible for Iran to fight an asymmetrical war the way Al-Qaeda or ISIS Can, because Al Qaeda and ISIS thrive in failed states. Iran, we know where Iran is. I mean, well, most American, most Americans don't. But if there's any asymmetrical warfare taking place, we know that it came from Kurds, and not that. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but it would be pretty stupid on Iran's part to engage in terrorism against the United States because we know where they we know where they are
1: no i, I agree I, I don't see uh, uh, thir- uh, the third world war coming out of the current crisis but even if there was a proliferation of terrorist attacks be they conducted by iran or isis using the opportunity with uh, thousands and thousands of innocent civilians being killed in the process and uh, the, the middle east further destabilized that already would be a disaster and would be, you know, tragic. Uh, But I agree, I can't see that the Third World War will develop out of the current crisis. But it is dangerous enough, and you do not need a Third World War to have a major war on your hands and major disaster in the Middle East. Also, of course, for economic reasons, you know, oil prices have already gone up, stock markets have plummeted. And uh, everyone will suffer uh, in an indirect way. Uh, uh, And, and of course, the civilians in the Middle East are most concerned about if there are a a proliferation of terrorist attacks. But, as I said, hopefully the Iranians will contain their reaction and then, in turn, the United States will also uh, contain its reaction to whatever Iran uh, decides to do. And with a bit of luck, I think there might still be uh, an influence of the European countries on both Tehran and Washington, urging both sides to restrain. And hopefully Russia and China will also do their best to to de-escalate the current situation. But any uh, upheaval in the Middle East is potentially highly dangerous and should, of course, be avoided.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're saying this, because I think a lot of liberals, a lot of pacifists have lost sight of what really happened in Iraq. And to me, it's a framing device. The narrative is off. I was against the war in Iraq. I think it was the worst strategic blunder in modern American history. I think Bush, Colin Powell should be brought up before The Hague and Cheney. What we did to Iraq is unforgivable that being said through the prism of middle eastern leaders didn't america win the war just because we didn't rebuild iraq in our image the way we did in japan or germany just because it didn't turn out the way we wanted we did destroy saddam hussein so you you have to figure that ruani and the ayatollah khamenei they're thinking, well, America goes to war with us. They they can't win it the way they want to win it, but we're dead. We're gone. It's gonna be a Hobbesian nightmare if we go to war with America. And I think Americans lose sight of that. We keep I mean we again, invading Iraq, worst thing we've done in my lifetime. Maybe maybe Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, but Uh, That's a framing issue. The fact is, we destroyed Iraq. We
1: we won. America's military might, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, is, of course, unprecedented. Uh, and no country would really stand a serious chance, and that applies to Russia and China as well, by the way. And of course, as you rightly say, uh, the Middle East people have the example of Iraq in the back of their minds. They know the United States won, but they also know what disasters uh, came out of this war, and uh, that will, of course, be in the mind of the Iranian leaders. And I don't think that any Iranian leader seriously wants to be involved in a major war with the United States. At the same time, it doesn't uh, prevent uh, terrorist attacks on American soldiers in the region, on American civilians, perhaps even here uh, in the United States. And um, But those terrorist attacks to... were
0: taking place, Professor, uh, for years. And they were, I I, might, I mean, I would assume General Suleimani was behind those terrorist
1: attacks. So sure but they can be strengthened you know And you don't want that to happen uh and of course trump with his threats that he would target 52 cultural uh, and other targets in iran wants to prevent that you know he is of course not interested in further inflaming the situation with a negative impact on america uh, and american lives in particular that would not help him at all either um Yes, the Iranians, I think, will keep in mind what you rightly said about Iraq. At the same time, they will react to some extent, and hopefully that extent will be as limited as possible. And we don't know. And of course, there are hotheads not just in Washington. There are many hotheads in Tehran and in other countries in the Middle East as well. So you don't, and not everything is directed by the Tehran government. As we know from uh, Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda and also from ISIS, some hotheads will just take independent action and will not coordinate with the Tehran government. And this is a great danger as well.
0: Okay. We've been talking with Professor Klaus W. Larris. He is the Richard M. Krasno Distinguished Professor of History and International Affairs at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. His latest book is Understanding Global Politics, Actors and Themes in International Affairs. And his latest piece over at The Conversation is phenomenal. I'll link to it over at my website. It's called with the u.s and iran on the brink of war the dangers of trump's policy of going alone become clear my last question is I, you know it's hard to go into the mind of a, a lunatic but trump it, what does he want is he following anybody's game plan because bush in the lead up to iraq the invasion of iraq he had pnac that was the blueprint drawn up by the neocons like bill crystal And back then, a lot of neocons said, after Iraq, quote unquote, real men invade Tehran. Is war with Iran something the neocons can get behind, or at least not be afraid of? I was reading Thomas Friedman yesterday in the New York Times. He doesn't seem concerned about the assassination of Soleimani. And Friedman says a lot of Iranians are glad to see him go. So are there are there well, neocons who who want Trump impeached like Bill Kristol, but are kind of glad he is taking on Iran?
1: Well, the Iranian American relationship is very complex, and in a way, the hostage crisis of nineteen seventy nine is still in the back of the of minds of many American politicians and intellectuals. And when Trump, for example, said he. He has targeted 52 cultural uh, targets in Iran, that refers to the 52 hostages which were taken in 1979. Um, And to me, I'm very puzzled that, you know, many decades ago something happened and the United States, the world power United States, has still not been able to accept that that did happen that that was a humiliating episode but one really needs to uh, move on from that Mm -hmm. but uh, ever since iranian-american relations have never really fully recovered and i think we see that now as well there are many uh, new conservative uh, intellectuals in american life who have always always talked about taking out iran uh, removing or going for regime change, removing the regime in Iran and turning it into a more respectable uh, country. This is uh, That also was actually the case under the George W. Bush administration, where for a little while there was serious talk about going after Iran in a serious way. To me, this is dangerous talk. That should not be the case. Uh, Iran is a sovereign country. It is not a friendly country. It is a dangerous uh, country. And Soleimani has certainly a lot of blood on his hands. Iran is still a sovereign country. We are not in a war situation uh, with Iran. Therefore, we should not be entitled to uh, kill individual Iranian uh, leaders. Um, That doesn't mean we need to love them. We need to uh, be, of course, suspicious of them and uh, check on them and control them and Uh, observe them very closely but to kill off individual generals individual leaders and then expect the world will not have changed that the world will be as stable as before this is a little naive I'm not quite sure if I agree with your description of President Trump as a lunatic he is irrational he is very emotional uh, in my uh, view also unhealthily emotional for a, a world leader Whether he is lunatic, like crazy, mentally deranged, I'm not quite sure. I cannot judge that, you know, I'm not a mental health uh, doctor. Um, Whether he is qualified to be a leader or whether he's too irrational, that is, I think, a a, a different uh, question.
0: Because uh,
1: there are many, many doubts among both Democrats and also among uh, Republicans, whether President Trump has the leadership qualities which the leader of the so-called free world is supposed to have. And I think that is a slightly different question to, you know, being whether or not he is a lunatic.
0: Yeah, I I do a radio show with Ralph Nader, and we had Dr. Bandy Lee on. She's a psychiatrist, I believe, from Yale, and she and about 20 other psychiatrists broke what is called the Goldwater Rule, and they diagnosed Donald Trump borderline narcissist. Uh, And I believe, I believe, and I'm I'm probably misquoting paranoid schizophrenia, traces of that delusions of grandeur that he is clinically, uh, well, let's just say the 25th Amendment should be Invoked to remove him from office, according to Doctor Bandi. Well,
1: obviously, I can't judge that, <laughs> but I find him too emotional for uh, you know for a, a world leader. That you know, right? Like uh, when we look at the current assassination, the recent assassination of Soleimani, he, he seems to have been inspired by television pictures, you right. know, of uh, widespread protest. This, to me, is you know, making a decision on the spot is very emotional, is very irrational, and I think I would agree. With that description. All the other descriptions, maybe, maybe not. I, I really can't judge that. Okay.
0: Professor Klaus W. Laris is the Richard M. Krasno Distinguished Professor of History and International Affairs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. His latest book is Understanding Global Politics Actors and Themes in International Affairs. And his latest piece for the conversation is entitled With the U.S. and Iran. On the brink of war the dangers of trump's policy of going it alone become clear i will link to that over at our website you've been very generous with your time thank you professor
1: you're very welcome it was a lot of fun thank,
0: thank you. you can you stand the line for one second
1: sure